0: And now, here is your host with Reflections from the Heart.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of Reflections from the Heart. Um, I am your host, Cameron Norse, and today I am joined by a friend, Ken Root. Uh, Thank you, Ken, for being here with us. Um, Today, we are going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 43. Uh, But before we open up the bread of life, uh, we are going to open with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the gift of today, the opportunity to serve you in everything that we do. We ask you to be here with us now through the power of your Holy Spirit. As we open up the bread of life, we ask that you would breathe on it and it would be alive and active. That we can use your words in our lives today so we thank you father for what you're going to do in us with us and through us in jesus name amen and ken again we're in matthew 21 33 to 43 would you mind giving us a little gospel love this morning sure jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people
2: here another parable There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one of them they beat. Another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent another servant, more numerous than the first ones. But they treated him in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, Well, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and, and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owners of the vineyard do to these tenants when he comes? They answered him, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to another tenant who will give him his produce at the proper time. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? By the Lord has seen this being done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you
1: and given to a people that will produce its fruit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot in here. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in and get started on it. Uh, it stood out to me at the beginning. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people. So again, I know we've had a couple of parables here in the last couple of weeks. Sometimes he tells a parable to his disciples, so call that his friend group, and sometimes he's talking to the chief priests and the elders, and let's say they're, they're more of the adversaries. They're not, uh, they're not his close friends. They're people that are trying to trick him, that don't like what he's doing. So he's talking to them, and this is a unique one because he actually uses apparel to talk about them. But before he does that, he says, hear another parable. I find it interesting he uses the word hear another parable. There's so many times in our lives where we want people to be listening to us. Really what we want them to do is to be hearing us. Like, did you hear what I said? Did you really hear me? Because I think it's easy to just, you know what a conversation looks like when you're talking to somebody and they're looking at their phone? It's like, Oh, yeah, you're listening, but you didn't hear me. Oh, I, I, I listened to every, every word you said, but, but you weren't really hearing me. And, and here he goes into this parable. At the end of it, he kind of exposes, I'm talking about you people. And I just used this parable that you weren't actually hearing. You might have been listening to, but, you, but it, didn't, it didn't get to your heart. And I think when he speaks, he always wants to get to our heart. I, I don't think he was talking about grapes and tenants and, uh, servants and, and those kinds of things. He was using that illustration to expose something that was in their heart that they actually knew what the correct answer was a, a, as we read it. And we we'll, we can dive back into it. But, um, if they were actually hearing what he said, I feel like their natural response would have been, Forgive me, it would have been that repentive heart um, so I think it's just another friendly reminder for us, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to me? What is he saying to us today? What did he say like what are the things that he wants to do in our hearts because I think I think that's his focus like. What's on our mind? What's in our hearts? What are the things that we're dwelling on? Well, I think you hit on a key thing there that is his
2: purpose in giving this parable and especially telling a story like this. It's a pretty harsh story, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Really quite involved, a lot of drama there. And so the people were taken completely off guard by the drama of the story. And not only were they taken off guard, But their spirit was quickened by this to like, they were angry, right? They were angry at the unfairness of the whole thing that there was, there was no reason for these tenants to be upset about what they were taking care of and then to kill the son of the owner. I mean, this is really a nasty story. Yeah, it's wild. Trying to acquire his inheritance. <laughs> but, but the technique gets them involved in a story in a fascinating way. Uh, I had mentioned before, I do a technique in studying the Bible that has proved to be highly af- effective with groups. And I'm doing it right now with my Sunday school class at church. But I will go through a passage and then I'll stop at every question mark in the passage. And I'll ask a number of questions about the question mark. We'll we'll look at the the details, you know, who was asking the question, who were they asking it of? And then was there a correct answer? And what answer was given? And then at the end, we kind of, so what's going on here? But think about it. In my experience in doing this, Almost always, people knew what the correct answer was, but they very rarely gave it. Right. In this, when you look at the first question mark there, where it says, uh, what will the owner of the vineyards do to those tenants when he comes? What's their correct answer? I, I think they gave
1: the correct answer.
2: Surprisingly, this is one of the few times in any of the question that I've seen in the scripture where the correct answer was immediately given. Mm -hmm. Because where was their mind at as he's asking the question? They They were reflecting upon this awful traumatic story he had just told them. Right. And they answered completely from their heart what the correct answer was. Right. But then the problem is that the correct answer in this case was a total indictment of the evil that was within their heart right because what what did he want them to to understand about him he wanted them to understand that he
1: is the son the son right the very point that they were totally missing right the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone yeah and and the landowner um had sent others in ahead of time but the tenants they beat them they killed them they stoned them
2: who who did that who was he talking about
1: there well think think of the people that have been sent ahead of the sun like the prophets like John the Baptist John the
2: Baptist the old Old Testament prophets yeah they were all rejected
1: yeah yeah because they came telling the truth. They were not celebrated in their time.
2: So they were very familiar with this. These, these people, these uh, priests and, and elders knew all that stuff very well. Right. But he got behind their defenses because he hit them from the back. Right. They knew it. But right. When, when he actually explained what it was they knew... They were like, oh, we don't want to go that direction. Right. We don't want to acknowledge you
1: as the son, as Jesus, who you are. Yeah. Yep. And, and so he puts them in this position, but, I, but just, we can bring this to today because we, we get to make a choice on a daily basis with what are we going to do with Jesus? What, what are we going to do with the son in the story? Like the prophets were before us, right? John the Baptist was before us Jesus' time of walking on earth was his disciples that's before us, but he has given us the Holy Spirit to be here with us right here right now, and we get to we get to I guess answer this question with um I'm taking it back to scripture here. It says, finally, he sent his son thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenant saw the son, uh, you know, they went on with their plan. And I think the question for us is, will we respect the son?
2: Well, think about it. We think about heaven, right? Getting to heaven. What do you want to do when you get to heaven? You want to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? You want to listen to everything he has to say. Well... What was going on here? These people were able, they had the opportunity to sit at the very feet of Jesus. This man who was doing nothing evil, who was just loving on the crowd, was healing the people. What was it that made them want to completely reject this guy? Why would they want to do that?
1: I'm sure there's a lot of things that came into play, but pride and arrogance are probably right up there at the top. I mean, as far as being known about town as who's holy and who's right and who knows more than you do, that that was like their badge of honor, right? And what I
2: have found in searching through all the question marks in the Scripture is that almost all the question marks that were asked of Jesus were asked by people trying to justify their unbelief. Trying to justify why they didn't need to believe this guy. Because if you believe who he is, what does that, what is then incumbent upon you? Yeah, change. Change. You don't want to reject what you've always brought yourself to believe. Right. So, for example, these people had proof scriptures. Right that told them this guy who's claiming to be Jesus couldn't be Jesus. After all, the scripture says that the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. And this guy came from Nazareth. There's nothing good comes from Nazareth. Don't even try to persuade me that he could possibly be the son because he doesn't come from Bethlehem. He comes from Nazareth. Right. That's a
1: good proof scripture, right? Sure, yeah. Interesting how the enemy loves to use shreds of truth to convince us of things. But,
2: But think about that particular claim on their part that this guy couldn't be the Messiah. I'm sure they didn't have newspapers back then, but they had good, good word of mouth, right? Right. And there were some events that happened 30 years before this that I'm sure were not all that unfamiliar to any of these people. I would imagine news spread. They could have well known, and probably some of them did know, there was once a census taken in Judea. Right. When this man and wife came to a town of Bethlehem and had a baby.
1: Right. And that baby would became well known to and the, the, the king, community. And the king even ordered for babies to be killed because he was trying to, he, he thought that, uh, yeah, the wise men were exactly. saying, this is, this is the one. This is all well known in their minds. They don't,
2: they didn't have forgetful minds like we do, <laughs> but they had minds that tried to protect themselves right from change. Is, from, it? is they, it?
1: They didn't want to accept this guy because they didn't want to change. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that human nature element that we think or it's been taught to us? I I don't know how this is a I don't know say a popular cultural norm is it's important to be right. It's important to be right. And if you're not right, try to cover it up as best you can or let as few people know about it and you know save your save face and you know. I, I think that comes from an element of truth where it's important to have integrity. But part of having integrity is saying, hey, guys, looking back to that decision I made last week, it was wrong. Here's why. I made a mistake. And, and we don't like being vulnerable like that. But it, it, something that I've found to be true, when, I, when that story plays out in my mind to like, okay, admit I made a mistake. I don't how do I avoid doing that at all costs? But when you hear somebody else talk about a mistake they made that they own up to, it's like, wow, that person is strong. Yeah. That person, I mean, they're being vulnerable here. They're that, man, how do you do that? But but when we put ourselves in their shoes, it's like that does not feel like strength. That does not feel like you know what I mean, like that I think Brene Brown talks about like the power of vulnerability where when you're in the moment, it doesn't feel like strength, but afterwards you'll have people look at you through a lens of, wow, that took a crazy amount of courage. I don't have that much courage. And it's like, I was just being truthful there. I was owning up to to my mistake. And And it's just funny. There's that element of popular culture or human nature I, I I don't have my thumb on it but it's like be right all the time well, think about
2: think about the last time you ever heard of someone pleading guilty to a crime doesn't matter how grievous the crime is how obvious that they're wrong they will always plead not guilty yeah so our criminal system itself right in, enforces this kind of be,
1: misbehavior right an unwillingness to own up yeah because there there's well you got to hear my side of the story to it of course i would have made this choice if you were only in my shoes um and i get that there's there's shreds of truth that can i don't know help us make our mind up where the reality is if it was full truth if it was full transparency, if it was full honesty, and we saw it for the big picture, I think our choices would change on a day-to-day basis.
2: Well, and one of the, one of the techniques that has become very popular, and it's always been popular, I guess, but become more popular is, vic- is become a victim. Because just think what, what rights a victim has that no one else has. I did that crazy thing and the reason I did that crazy thing is because I'm a victim. Right. And therefore, since I'm a victim, I have full authority to do that thing. Right. So it, it excuses that's all this mad behavior. Yeah. So victimhood is a wonderful place to be if you can assign it to yourself.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, I, I, I think the other wild part about this story is when, they, when the landowner sent his son... Their thought was, come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. I mean, how preposterous of a thought is that? At, at what point does somebody commit murder to the heir of something and they get the inheritance? It's like, you think you're going to get the land because you knocked off number two? I, I, it just seems when you look at that piece of it, there's not a lot of logic involved, but to them, they're already to a point where they have beaten and stoned and killed the first wave and then the second wave. And now it's like one thing builds on another. And all of a sudden you get to this point where it's like, Hey, if we just keep doing this, it's ours. I think things build on top of each other is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Well,
2: and, Look at what happened to them after they beat and killed and stoned the previous people. Nothing bad happened to them. Hey, we're getting away with this, man. Right. And all we got to do is get away with this one last big act, and we got her nailed then, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. See, you become used to it. When, when there isn't any punishment happening along the way, suddenly it just enables more evil things to continue happening. Yeah. We would, we don't see that happening today, of course, but... <laughs>
1: yep. So, so fast-forwarding here, as he's, t- as Jesus is telling this parable to the chief priests and the elders, when he talks about the son, so I just read this part, it says, come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. This is where I feel like it moves into, uh, call it prophecy, or like, you know jesus is revealing something that if you had if you have ears to hear it you can hear it probably nobody in the room heard it in the moment but he said they seized him talking about the son they seized him threw him out of the vineyard and killed him so he is like and and this is matthew 21 so this isn't the very beginning of his ministry this is his way of prophetically saying, "Exactly, remember this parable because I know what's coming next. You know, the other time like he was prophetic
2: like that, when he said about, cast down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he said, this guy is totally nuts. There's no way you can rebuild this temple in three days. Right. But later... Later, they remembered what he said. And they knew he was talking about himself. So when you're talking about prophetic, this is one of those, those, typic, those examples that he does. Yep. That this is going to haunt them in the future. Yep. When they say, oh my goodness, that was crazy. He said he, this was going to happen and we just did it. Right. How can we wash our hands of this? Right. Give us water. Give us a rag. We got to clean our hands.
1: Yeah. We are those wretched men. We are the wretched men. Yeah. So so there's another piece here, more towards the end, um, where it talks about the wretched men. It says, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. So what's that being prophetic of Well these other tenets? Well, I, I think we can put ourselves in that category. That's you and I. Today. Yes. And what are we producing? And, and, and as far as proper time goes, I mean, our life's a vapor. There's a, when we say proper time, it's whatever time we have. And, and it's talking about giving him a produce. Um, and that fruit, that's the harvest. Like, what are we doing to help advance the kingdom with, I mean, here's the reality. There's some people in all of our lives where we get to be the best representative of the gospel to them.
2: Let me just give you a quick example of that. Walking up the Appalachian Trail this past Sunday, there was two ladies standing there, one on a bicycle and one carrying a camera taking pictures of birds. And as I walked toward them, God said, you need to talk to these ladies. I'm like, huh? So I walked up to them. We got engaged in conversation. You know, we had an amazing, just glorious experience with the Holy Spirit, with those three of us. I don't know if those ladies were even Christians. The one had a cross around her neck, so she probably was. But I don't know about the other lady. But the other lady said, wow, I was not expecting to see God show up on the trail here this morning. That's awesome. We need to redeem the times like that because like you said, our lives are vapors. Right. We're going to be here for a short amount of time. Yep. And this, these parables aren't taught in a synagogue. These parables are taught on the streets, right. surrounded by people on the streets every day of the, of the week. Yep. It's not just what we do on Sundays. It's every day of the week that we have those opportunities to be that representative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that ties into the beginning where it says he leased the land to the tenants. He didn't, he, there was no contract of ownership. I, I mean, I, I'm stating an obvious thing here, but we, we don't own anything like who who there's no what's the quote you never see a u-haul following a hearse (laughs) right like even the things that you would say i this is mine 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 uh, at what point is it not yours like do do we have that heart posture or that perspective that this is least this is god's he wants to use this as an instrument as a tool to help advance the kingdom, but ultimately what he's looking for is fruit. Because that's Jesus' final statement here. He said, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people that will produce its fruit. So I, I it, it reminds me of that scripture, the rocks will cry out, right? Yes. Like if, if you won't do it, the, the rocks will cry out. Yeah. I can make those crazy rocks do what you're supposed to be doing and aren't doing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's so much fun opening up the Word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, there, there's so much that's in here. The least land, I think that's a, a good representation of the reminder that life is a vapor, that the things that we have, we're actually called to steward those things and we should be known by our fruit and what are we doing in the proper times so enjoyed opening up the gospel with everybody today and just want to say god bless you to you thank you
0: reflections from the heart has been presented by stewardship a mission of faith we hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, please consider participating in a Gospel Reflection group. For more information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection group in your area, and to learn about all of the family of ministries, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org, or call us at 717-367-0100. Stewardship, a mission of faith, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make reflections from the heart possible. If you've enjoyed this broadcast, please prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a tax deductible donation by visiting stewardshipmission.org or call us at 717 367 0100. On behalf of all of us at Stewardship, a mission of faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him.